0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. My name is Mark Mandel, and I am joined by my partner in crime, the viciously vulgar Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai?
1: I'm doing fine, Mark. I'm not that vulgar, actually.
0: <laughs> you're not. I'm probably the more vulgar of the two of us.
1: <laughs> Maybe.
0: <laughs> Though I think you're the one that normally swears on a podcast.
1: Yeah, it's just part of you know the culture I grew up in, in Germany. You just say things as they are.
0: Fair enough call a spade a spade
1: yeah exactly
0: fair enough that makes sense and you have a good holiday break happy holidays to all our listeners of course
1: yeah happy holidays to to everyone out there um yeah we uh, Basically, we didn't go away, but we um, you know, took a few days of work and stayed in, in the Wellington area and did a few things. The weather was actually not that great, unfortunately, at least here. I don't know how it was in Melbourne. So we had quite a lot of rain over Christmas. But, you know, On the other hand, that's reasonably typical for New Zealand in December, to be honest.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, we had a a crazy weekend, we had Christmas here and then two days later I was in Sydney for about four or five days, uh, one of my cousins was getting married so we spent most of the time in Sydney and then on the 31st came back to Melbourne. So New Year's Eve we did nothing and it was lovely.
1: Cool, that sounds good.
0: (laughs) How was yours New Year's Eve?
1: Um, We went over to some friends and basically had dinner and played some games. Oh, very nice. So reasonably quiet, you know, not a big party or something.
0: We should do a we should do a board game episode. That
1: would
0: be. Yeah, fun.
1: I wonder how much you can contribute to that actually.
0: I actually know we board... we play some board games. Not a huge amount, but we do play some games.
1: So what did you play recently?
0: Uh, we're we're uh, a huge fans of Articulate. Uh,
1: okay. I
0: yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, never, you don't know Articulate?
1: Yeah, I know Articulate.
0: What's wrong with articulate?
1: Well, there's nothing wrong with articulate as such, but I wouldn't consider it a proper board game.
0: What's a proper board game then?
1: A proper board game would be, for instance, Settlers of Catan. Uh with, you wanna uh, play
0: like Risk or something?
1: Oh Mark, risk risk, yeah, risk risk the the only thing why risk is a board game is because it has a board, actually. <laughs> risk is a Pure luck and chance game. It's not like any strategic element in it, really. Okay. Yeah, we should have an episode about proper board games.
0: Proper board games. Anyway, that sounds like fun. All right. Well, you know what? Next time, next time, if we ever in, in the, if the four of us actually manage to get in the same place at the same time, we should have a games night.
1: Oh yeah, that would be interesting.
0: That would be interesting. We're uh, we're a little bit of a competitive couple. I give you fair warning. <laughs> To the point where to the point where we've had games nights with friends and family, and there have been medals given and received.
1: Oh, medals. Who yeah. produced yeah. the medals, actually?
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember who, who produced I don't think it was us that produced the medals, but let's just say they're still hanging on our wall.
1: Wow, nice. Well done. That would be interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be good fun, actually. We should do that. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure our listeners don't care about that wine either.
1: No, probably not. But I think you know, the, the topic of board games is in... In a developers and geek True. community, actually quite widespread. You know, like even at um, I think at CF Objective last year,
0: yeah, Jason. A Dames,
1: board games um, birds of a feather session. Yeah.
0: Actually, I know a few people in the US, and I think uh, I've seen it on Facebook where a few friends have got um. There's some there's some sites that let you play board games sort of online, and yeah. they've, mm-hmm. they've got groups together to do that. Clearly that's yeah. sort of outside my time zone. We could, we could set something like that up. That could actually be kind of fun. It's,
1: um, it's, it's quite interesting. You know, when you look at the whole hobby of board games, it comes quite a bit from Germany, actually. You'll find that the vast majority of the modern, what they call European style board games, like those strategy games that have a theme, like whatever railways or some other economic thing or whatever you, you could think of, they are pretty much all Made and invented in Germany
0: Oh yeah I mean growing yeah. up I played like a lot of the, the prequels To like all the Warhammer games So I played like Heroes Quest And Space Crusade And all that sort of stuff Yeah see, see, so those Those are all prequels come, to war To, to like tabletop are you were saying?
1: Yeah So those games like Warhammer And you know Warhammer 40k And that stuff Yeah They are basically That's a very very um, British UK culture thing Mm. That's massive over there, and then it kind of swapped over to to the U.S. and to Aussie and to New Zealand a little bit. The whole German board game thing, I think, it became really big in the in the early 90s mm. uh, with actually Settlers of Catan because that was a massive commercial success, and ev- all of a sudden every pretty much every family in Germany played board games on like Sunday afternoons or Sunday nights. I've played like,
0: Settlers of Catan, I must say.
1: Yeah, it's it's a nice game. You know, it's um. You would uh, probably, you would, fa- you would probably you fa- recognize it when you see it, actually. Yeah. It's, There's a uh, site
0: called Play Catan where you can play it over the internet.
1: Yeah, it could be. There are multiple multiple sites where you can play Catan.
0: Uh, what's the um? Yeah, that's it. I've seen um. Have you seen uh, Cards Against Humanity?
1: Yes. I played that last week, actually.
0: Have you? Okay, I have seen some yeah. people playing it. It's, it's very interesting. It's um, it's basically, it's a free game, Creative Commons. Um, it looks like fun.
1: Yeah, it's just you know about finding some really disgusting thing essentially that yep. you know matches a certain card, <laughs> or that fills the gap in a sentence or something like that. Something like that.
0: Yeah. But I think it's interesting to see that they've done it where it's uh you can download it for free. It's a creative commons. So you can print it all out yourself. It's a series of cards. Um, but you can buy it as a box set if you want. which I think that's, that's kind of cool that people, you know, here. like
1: bridging back to like development and IT a little bit from there. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, in the, in the content and book community, a quite common thing, right? And, and, I, I mean, there are a bunch of particularly O'Reilly books. That are free open source books under a Creative Commons license online. Yeah. But if you prefer to buy a print have a print book of, or like a proper E yeah, exactly. you buy it through O'Reilly, you know, like And that makes a lot of sense, you know, because sometimes you just um wanna have something you can take with you, although in other cases it's just fine to have a free online book where you can just look something up quickly.
0: Yeah. No, I like that. Those sort of models I think are really interesting. And it sort of, it gets it gets the game out there or gets whatever it is out there in, in front of people. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've totally segued away from everything we were talking about on our Yeah, own from stuff. literally from <laughs>
1: everything, really. But whatever.
0: All right. So, actually, to continue with the, the tradition, what happened today? What interesting stuff have you found that happened today?
1: Um, I've got like two, things, I think, that are worthwhile mentioning. Um, In 2009, five years ago, um, the famous Hudson River landing happened. You know that that story? That sounds vaguely familiar. That was like um, a US Airways flight took off from, I think, LaGuardia in New York and had like a double engine failure because of some bird strike, I think. And um, the captain, uh, Sullenberger, Sully Sullenberger, landed the plane in the Hudson River um, Mm -hmm. like a jet, like I think it was an Airbus, um, and basically everyone survived. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing I found, um, in 1969, the Soviet Union launched Soyuz 5.
0: Yeah, I saw that one too.
1: Uh, Two years before that, actually, the first Super Bowl was played in L.A.
0: Uh, I've got Um, that one as
1: well. For the American football fans amongst us.
0: Um, I've got a few. I've got uh, England's Queen Elizabeth I was crowned. The first Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, 1559. Oh, okay. Uh, Happy Days premiered on television today. What is Happy Days? Happy Days. The Fonz. Eh? Oh, oh my (laughs) God. I have no idea. It's like a ridiculous pop culture reference you're missing. Um, it's a, it was a, a 74 TV show set in the 50s. Very famous. You know the phrase, jump the shark? Yeah. Yeah, that comes from Happy Days. Because in Happy okay. Days, the Fonz actually had a scene where he jumped over a shark. And that was the point when the TV show series went, went to hell. Like, no one liked it anymore.
1: Because it was so ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it say. was like, okay. yeah, at that point. Um, wow, I can't believe you don't know Happy Days
1: yeah sorry. never, ever heard before.
0: Oh wow <laughs> i i'm I'm genuinely shocked.
1: That is okay. um you know, like most likely, we just didn't have that TV show in Germany when I grew up, and then I never got socialized with that. That's yeah, you know it's... that's what I find quite often with like English or American TV shows from that time. I just have no idea.
0: Um, oh, Wikipedia founded today, 13th anniversary. Oh, really? yeah, yeah
1: yeah, and uh, that's actually ironic, you know, because I always use Wikipedia to look up that stuff, <laughs> the yeah. things, and I've totally missed that,
0: yeah, I think that's pretty much it that's what I've got, okay, cool, that's what I've got so um you've been playing with go in your uh free time,
1: yeah, I have a little bit yep, have
0: a have a, have a chat about that so uh what 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 made you go uh, oh, I have to I have to look at Go. It looks awesome.
1: Um, it was kind of random, really. I
0: you rolled a dice and you were like, Whoop, "No, we I,
1: I didn't say I, I did. No, I didn't roll the dice. It was more like I wanted to have a look at another language just to see what else is out there. Yep. And um, I don't even know how it exactly started, but I had a chat on Twitter to JD. Um, you know the. JD who we had on the podcast a few yep. month or years ago. I can't even remember when it was. <laughs> and he said, oh, have you looked at Go? And I said, no, I know that it exists. And know that's one of those languages coming out of Google a few years ago. Um, but I never really had a serious look at it. And then I started, I just downloaded it and downloaded it um, and got a book and played with that. They have like an online tour thing on their website oh, yeah. where, where you can just, you know, like code on the website and try things out. Like like. So I played with that a little bit and found it interesting enough to spend a bit more time on it. So and that's what I did, really.
0: So what sort of languages go? Is it functional? Is it OO? Is it typed? Is, is it... typed? Is
1: it oh. It's. Is it I think if the... It's kind of hard to say. It's not a functional language as such. It's basically statically typed. mm mm-hmm. And the syntax, I would probably say, is kind of similar to C and C++, Mm -hmm. but it's got a few interesting elements that make it much cleaner than C, for example. Okay, so it has classes? It has kind of classes. It doesn't have – well, it has types. That's how I would rather call it. It doesn't have inheritance. -hmm. Or no, it basically has some sort of a lightweight interface system that basically doesn't even need proper declaration. So it kind of picks up if you implement certain certain functions, and then it treats something as a certain type. So it's quite neatly done, basically. the output of Go when you you know write something and compile something is pretty much a binary. So it's not like a a, leg, a a web language as such, you know, where you would easily script a website with. However, there are web frameworks that allow you to do stuff like that. But normally you would write a you would write a Go program to do some system task. That's how I see it, at least at this stage.
0: Hmm. So hmm? go on, go on, Go okay. okay.
1: So it's it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, I I like the syntax. It makes things reasonably easy. So, you know, it has type inference. You don't have to specify this is an int or this is a double or something like that. Um it's got a so quite nice Yeah. Go, go, go. It's got also a quite nice packaging system. So you pretty much have to import packages, which makes it really clear what your dependencies are. Mm. And that's Something I kind of like. It's very explicit from that point of view. And when you write your, when you define your own type, you pretty much basically make that type public or private by the way how you spell it. If you, I know, have a type
0: convention-based sort
1: of. Yeah, if you have a type starting with a capital letter, then it would be you know public. If not, then it's a private type, basically.
0: So, what do you? What would you write a type for? What is that? What is that?
1: Um. A data 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 structure, structure like that. could be one thing. Basically, um, that's probably the the most the most common use case. It has, I mean, it has obviously also built in complex types. You've got stuff like you know like maps, which are kind of like yeah. a hash table e thing. You've got slices. Um, you've got some immutable types. So the you know and from what I can see so far is basically as soon as I want to um, wrap some data into a nice reusable structure in a similar way how I would do it with an object in an OO language, I would basically put it in a type right. for a starter. But I'm not you know, that well experienced with the language yet to oversee all the implications that might have further down the track.
0: Yeah, okay so you, you you're sort of creating types you don't those types don't have like methods on them but it sounds like there's some sort of polymorphic sort of construct where you can you can have a method and then attach those to run certain code on when certain types come through would that be that right
1: yeah that would kind of be kind of right so um, another concept that is quite interesting is concurrency
0: because yeah, its about that. that seems to be yeah the because it's code. really
1: nicely built into the language I think that's you know something they put in like um, so you got Go channels, purpose. I
0: believe, and I think yeah they, you've I've got, seen that sort of ported around.
1: Yeah, exactly. You've got Go channels, which are basically, um, oh well, it starts differently. You have like a thing called um, a Go routine in the first place, hmm. which is like um kind of a light, very lightweight process type of thing. And um, the channels are there to have communication between the Go routines. Yeah, and you can. Can send things and receive things from respectively to another channel
0: yeah, yeah, and very similar to what I've been playing with with in async in in closure, that's very hurtful.
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I mean it, that is really a nice thing that they've built that into the language yeah um, it's... and that's kind of a core feature of of go as such.
0: Yeah, I've seen people port that. Obviously, quarter days in Conclosure. I think I've seen people port that to Ruby as well, or at least muck around with it because it's um, communicating sequential processes. Um, uh, just,
1: okay. Yeah, that sounds about that sounds CST. about right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and it, and it, and it is a really nice way to do concurrency, especially if you've got something like trying like getting away from callbacks. Um,
1: yeah, so because nice. the thing in 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 Go with channels is if you have like a send or a receive statement to send yeah. something to a channel they basically they are blocking until the other end like the other go routine is actually yep. ready to communicate and that sounds as if it's exactly that what you just mentioned from ruby
0: yeah i was going to say um i know in encore i think you have like you have choices you can like if you can be like, I'm gonna put this on there, but I wanna put it on there asynchronously, so it can wait, but I don't want it to wait another thread and my other stuff can go on. Or I can like totally block and be like, nah, I'm just gonna stop and either wait for this to go in or wait for it to come out. Is AI I assume Go has similar sort of constructs that way?
1: Um, There is a thing I know that's called a select statement. um, And that can do something with like waiting for communication. But I'm not 100% sure how that exactly works. I haven't really doubled deeply into that area. I know the default behavior is basically that those send and receive operations kind of block until the communication can be established.
0: Okay, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of the um, a lot of the core async stuff they, they they refer to it as parking. I think I'm sure I've seen that. Funnily um, enough, uh,
1: parking. I,
0: yeah, I think I actually takes the same terminology from Go channels. Um, and Go routines because I'm pretty sure I learned most about core async and some of the terminology they use by looking at the Go documentation.
1: Mm, okay.
0: Um, so I have a feeling it does very similar things in that it'll it, it won't stop the flow of the current thread process, but it'll wait. Um, so so um, so I, yeah, for for people who probably don't don't know this sort of stuff as well, you end up you basically have this thing called a channel, which is a queue for all intents and purposes. Um, and you can put stuff on it and pull stuff off it. Um, But what's nice about it is you can actually say, when you set up these queues, and you can have different types of queues, you can do stuff like, say, only push one something into it when I've got something that needs to be pulled off, and that's where it'll stop. It'll be like, I've got nothing, no room left. Or you can be like, for this queue, allow five things to go in, and then it'll wait Mm -hmm. until the next five to come out. Um, So you can do some cool stuff that way. But um, I really like the the paradigm a lot, because it's really... 'Cause it's really easy to fire up multiple channels and if you're looking for particular stuff for concurrency, it's it's a nice way of doing things.
1: Yeah, I started to play with one of the web frameworks in Go a little bit that's called Revel. Hmm. And that looks interesting so far. Um because what I what I want to use the whole thing for is like um my light system. So I started to write write you know oh, I started yeah, to write yeah, that in, in cool. Python.
0: Yeah.
1: And then basically um started to rewrite things in go now um, because that go can run really nicely on the Raspberry Pi as well okay it's not a default package um, that you that you get on the go website but there's one guy in Aussie actually who does who basically packages the go source and compiles it for uh, compiles it to to Raspberry pi binaries. Which oh, nice. is kind of a bit tricky because obviously if you, you have to compile it for the Raspberry Pi CPU, which is like, um, one of those ARM.
0: It's like an ARM something. Yeah. ARM
1: version six or whatever it is. Yeah. So you really have to compile it actually on that, on the Raspberry Pi. And apparently it takes ages because of the memory restrictions and all the stuff you have to actually run to uh, compile, yeah. compile it. So it, I think if you do it yourself, it can easily take like an hour or something like that. Oh wow. To compile okay. the whole thing. Um, and the Raspberry Pi, to be fair, is not like, you know, an extremely super performing machine and it's a quite small thing. So there's that one guy who releases the binaries for the Pi and, um, luckily he just released a few weeks ago a binary for Go 1.2 for Raspberry Pi, which is around for, for Intel or for Mac in general for like, I don't know month nearly now mm. so that was quite lucky because I was starting to write stuff in Go 1.2 and I was just waiting for the for the binaries for <laughs> the pie to show up basically it's like oh, come on do it and then finally at some point before Christmas they showed up on, on this website
0: that's good that's good okay now obviously I'm wondering concurrency big deal for making lights change colors
1: oh no not really it's more like i want i want to you know do something reasonably useful with it at least you know and not just um uh do hello world or some command line tools which are reasonably easy to do actually command line tools if you want to have like you know write a little tool that you can trigger from from a script or something but go is a quite nice language for that
0: because they're standalone binaries that, that come out the other side is that right
1: yeah exactly yeah
0: Oh, that's nice. So what are you uh, – I know you've been playing with these lights for a while. What are you actually building at the moment?
1: Um, so the lights basically have a JSON API. So I don't know how much you know about those lights basically. But essentially that's they are fun. just normal light bulbs screwed yeah. into, into the sockets in the ceiling. And um, they have a little ZigBee connection that basically talks to a bridge device that is hooked into my Wi-Fi router or into my router, not into my Wi-Fi, actually. Mm. So that bridge device has an IP address, and then it can communicate with the lights. So if you talk to that bridge device via JSON, it basically switches on and off lights, essentially. And the um, what I'm basically doing is I'm building a little server app that does more than the basic API does, because the problem with the with the basic API is all the implementation that I found and the online system that Philips provides are just like shit. You know, you you want to maybe create a certain mood setting for your lights, and or you want to set a timer that they go off every morning at seven o'clock or something like that, and I found it just not reliable. So I'm just trying to see if I can improve it on that, and also if the, when the thing is finally done and running. I just want to basically access it from the outside. So I'll, I'll do some port forwarding through my router yeah, that I can. Turn your lights on when you come yeah, stuff. do that basically remotely.
0: I think you need to hook it up to a clapper. I think if you clap your hands twice, it does like mood lighting. Like it goes red and forwards oh, down.
1: Why would it go red particularly?
0: <laughs> like, and then a disco ball comes from the ceiling and it starts playing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because um, that would well, be awesome. Probably you can if you do some <laughs> hardware, hardware mending, you know, in terms of like having a clap sensor and putting plugging that into something else. I don't know. Yeah.
0: That'd be good. You should do that.
1: Yeah, I know, but there's just so many hours in a day, unfortunately.
0: I've, I've I decided that you should, uh, yeah, you should totally I, automate your house so that you can basically have a, a 70 Cisco whenever you clap your hands.
1: See, I mean, all that would be cool. Um, If you're willing to pay me to automate my house, then I would right away start doing that full-time. Yeah? Yeah.
0: Actually, have you seen the uh, Ninja Sphere? No. Ninja Sphere, actually, I know a guy who works on this. Um, It's a a little thing for uh, controlling your environment. So you can create these blocks. I haven't looked at it too bad, too much, but um, you can get all these sensors for your house, like motion sensors, window, and door contact sensors, um, buttons, and stuff. And you can hook them all up, and it's just a really easy way to automate all the things in your house. And it can hook up okay. to your Raspberry Pi, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty slick. You can turn on lights, turn off lights, get an alert when your washing's done, turn stuff off and on. That's okay. Cool. How
1: would you? How would you? You know, do something like get an alert when your washing's done.
0: That's a really good question. and I've only just looked I mean, up and looked at it.
1: <laughs> my, my initial th- thought would be you kind of have to, you know, basically open the washing machine and put some wire sensor. Some somewhere way of doing
0: it. Uh, it. It was in there about uh, there about section. Get an alert when the washing is done. See, it's there. It's in the about section. I should actually. Uh, I know one of the guys that works on it. I should probably. Um, have him on and have
1: a chat. It'd be kind of cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can. the The only other way, I, oh no, even not even then. You know, I thought maybe if you have a sensor at the wash on the washing machine's door, but that wouldn't really help you to know when the washing is done.
0: Yeah. Maybe it's oh, a vibration
1: sensor that if it stops oh, vibrating. Oh
0: yeah, it, like stops vibrating, then you know it's finished.
1: For like for like I don't know, thirty seconds in a row that then you assume it's finished or something like that.
0: Yeah. Actually, here you go. All right. Okay, and you can do stuff with, like, it looks like you can hook up Raspberry Pis with Arduino stuff. So essentially, anything you can do with an Arduino is what well, you can hook up. Uh, what's a Ninja Block kit? Uh, 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 this is fascinating, I'm sure. Arduino compatible, there you go. Okay. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, you can you do all sorts of stuff. That's neat. Okay, yeah, and you can control power supplies and stuff too. Oh, that's neat. That's actually really cool. Oh, I just had a really good idea for this. Okay. So right now, um, our, the, oh, this would be awesome, actually. Now I, can, now I really want to get one. <laughs> So right now, um, our air conditioning system up in our bedrooms um, isn't temperature controlled. You can only turn it on or turn it off, and you can it low or high. But if this has got got – and and so at night, that kind of sucks. So I just got a timer for it so I can leave it on for an hour, and then it just cuts off while I'm asleep. But it can actually – like especially last night right now, we're in the middle of a, a heat wave where it's like 40 degrees. So at night, it's still 30 outside. So it's cool, but you'll wake up in the middle of the night just boiling. So I could kind of screw around with a timer and have it turn off for an hour, turn off for an hour. But I could actually have one of these looking at the temperature, and if the temperature drops below a certain point, it turns on, and then when it hits another point, it turns back off again. And it would actually really easy
1: su- Can I have a suggestion? You could also just get a modern air-conditioned system that has a thermostat in there.
0: <laughs> but let's put it this way. If I did that, what I'd actually have to do is get a whole air-conditioning system have that installed on the wall. That's really expensive. I can get one of these for a couple hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I don't want construction in my house in the middle of summer as well. And...
1: Yeah, but that, I mean, getting an air conditioner installed, it's not like a major construction that, you know, they do well, that they'd in, have a, to... in a day, basically. Yeah, they could,
0: Yeah. this this is actually one of those big, you know, the big rectangular ones? It's actually one of those and it's shoved in the wall. It came with the house. So, um, yeah, I could do that too. But this is, I mean, come on, I want to code something.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See there? there you go.
0: And you know, and then I can like, and hook other things up to it. I don't know if I can find a way to hook up my my thermostat as well, and you know, turn on turn yeah. on my heater from upstairs. And
1: I think you should do some some hacking with your dog.
0: Do you want to install components inside my mat? Is that what you're trying to say?
1: No, I don't want to install components inside your dog. But, you know, some, something around your dog, like, you know, track, track its movement in, in the house or like have a little... (laughs) You
0: know know what? I know exactly what that's going to say. 16 hours, I sleep. (laughs) And every four hours, I get up, shake, turn around and lie back down again.
1: I want to definitely do something at some point with with the cat we kind of have yeah. <laughs> have in doubles, um, like put um, a little camera on him or something like that. That because I really want to know what he's kind of doing and where he's going during the day. My yeah. my assumption is a lot of it will be sleeping. That's fair enough. But we live I don't want to say like semi rural. But, you know, we live at the end of a suburb where basically behind, a, behind our property is a lot of bushland. And okay. I have the feeling that he's, um, you know, like probably trailing that bushland for hours a day looking for birds or mice or whatever. And that would be just interesting to see as well.
0: Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Ooh, I like this. You've got a doorbell that you can install. Now hit the doorbell, it vibrates your phone.
1: Uh-huh, that is cool.
0: That makes a lot of sense,
1: but you need to run some app on your phone then, probably,
0: yeah yeah, there's an app, there's an app that you can download and install
1: that's kind of kind of cool.
0: This has got some cool
1: stuff. I'm actually really tempted. you could probably you know what you can probably do a similar thing similarly easy by doing push message push messages or something like that, like mm-hmm. having a little controller in your doorbell that sends a little push message into a service like Urban Airship, and then you've got your a little app on your phone subscribing to that push channel or something like that.
0: Yeah, or I could just buy one of these and it would make life really easy.
1: <sighs> You're always about making life so easy. <laughs> uh, makes life easy. Okay. Yeah, but there are interesting, interesting and cool things. Um, I would kind of agree with that. The door thing sounds quite cool. <laughs>
0: Okay, now I really want one. Hmm. What's
1: the um the name? Is it Ninja?
0: Yeah, go to ninjablocks.com. It's a Ninja Sphere.
1: Okay, and in this, okay, yeah, we'll put the link into the podcast blog post, I think. Yeah, but
0: they've, got, the, a, they've yeah. got a Kickstarter on the Ninja Sphere and they've Ninja Blocks and stuff. Yeah, it looks like they've got a lot of coverage on it too. Oh, maybe I'll back
1: this. Mm, cool. Um, you know, it would be cool if it actually could send me messages to my computer. You know, I get a little notification on my computer that someone's at the door.
0: (laughs) Oh, the ninja sphere is actually totally different, but awesome. Oh, it's kind of like the next level. Oh, this is actually very cool. All right.
1: So there you go. New hobby. (laughs) That,
0: That could be everything. Apparently you can connect your car to it. Oh, this is hot. Okay, I'll leave this alone. Otherwise I'll start looking at it and then I'll start buying stuff. (laughs) <laughs> don't want that. that's bad actually you know what I bought recently um, that I love is I bought a 30 inch Dell IPS screen so I have ridiculous resolution and I mm-hmm. can't I can't decide if i'm if I'm upset or not at the new ones that have come out with like the 4k Dell's coming out with a 4k mm-hmm. one at like six ninety nine so i got a, I got a really good deal as these ones went out obviously as those ones were coming in uh, I got like five hundred bucks off it was actually really really good okay. But, I mean, this is... Uh, what's the resolution on this? It's something stupid. Um, yeah, come here. It's 2.560 by... 1440? Now more than that. It's 2.560 by 6, 1600.
1: Okay. Yeah, I've got... Um, I actually bought a new computer for my, for my work.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I just got it two days ago. Like, I bought a pretty much max-out iMac. Mm. Which is basically a 27-inch screen with the, the Mac built in, and now I've got two of those, obviously, because I used to have a 27-inch cinema display before. So I've got yep. like two 2560 times 1440, 40, which is quite amazing. You know, I pretty much can use that second screen for like TweetDeck in full screen mode. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, I had um, I had one of the yeah, ages ago, I we probably mentioned it, I bought one of the um, the Korean IPS monitors that came out yeah. about two or three mm-hmm. years ago. bet it was about a year, year and a half ago. And, um, yeah, I was sitting here the other day, and I'm like, there's a line in it. And I could see this black line right across the bottom. I'm like, ah, oh, that's really annoying. So it lasted for about a year. I mean, it's still okay. It's a line across the bottom. And if I could hook it up to another one of my secondary machines, I probably would. But they can't They can't handle the output because they're all the machines. They can't okay. They can't spit out anything that's that that's big. Um and that resolution, so at the moment it's sitting under my desk waiting for something to happen. Waiting for everything yeah, to get replaced or something. But, um, no, I love it. Yeah, it's the Dell 30 inch. It was, it's awesome. I just, it's, yeah, she bought one ages ago. Um, so now I have, still have one, two, three, four, five, six screens running. But, yeah. That's maybe
1: a bit too much, isn't it?
0: No? Okay. I'll say the sixth screen I don't use very much because it's just at a weird angle and I can't really fit it on my desk. And it sort of sits off to the side. I did a, I don't know if you saw on Twitter, I did a panorama shot of all my screens.
1: No, when did you do that?
0: I did that a few days ago. Um. Here we go. Because I actually had to panorama it. <laughs> it's just ridiculous.
1: I need have a look if I can actually find that.
0: Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be. Hold on, here we go. There we go.
1: Uh, so I'm going through your tweets. I'm eight days back now. No, just so, go to the
0: images, the left-hand side. I'm trying to bring a link up,
1: actually. Uh, yeah, I mean... Oh, here we go. Got it. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Yeah, one, so two, there's three, a few five. of
1: them. Nice. A, yeah, yeah
0: the sixth one over on the side is, uh... The right hand side. Yeah, the right hand side. That's what okay. it's off in an odd angle.
1: That looks like a tiny one, anyway.
0: It's 17 inches.
1: Yeah, tiny in today's measurements. True,
0: true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think actually what it may end up being is the presentation. So if I'm like working on stuff and I want to watch a presentation at the same time, that's where I think it might end up going.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense because <laughs> it's
0: big enough to watch slides and I can get audio out through that, but um, it, uh, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't really do anything else it's far enough away that I can't really see it that closely, but if I'm seeing slides or something too.
1: Yeah, I do that sometimes just in a little video um, window on one of the big screens, and that usually does the trick. I don't need to have a separate screen for that necessarily.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. But I around. Can... don't you flick workspaces, or do you have one that stays static or something? I'd probably build something like that.
1: Um when you say workspaces, you mean like workspaces on my main development machine? Like virtual 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 area. Okay. Um no, I've got one with four screens each, but mainly I would just stay in one for a certain project or task or something like that for a while. Um Usually what's on, on a separate space or desk is like my Windows virtual machine if I need to run one or like, you know, the mail app to check mails occasionally because I don't need to have that vis- visible all the time. Um, but, you know, my development tools and like potentially dock windows or PDFs or something like that, they're usually in one set of, of for a desk.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I flick constantly. I'll have my ID on one browser on another. Actually at the moment the stuff I'm working on is I've got what is it? IDE and on my big screen. Then I've got a, then I've got a terminal that's split in Tmux on one side, it's running um, my ClojureScript tests, the other side is running the actual compiling of ClojureScript. And then it's got a Chrome window that opens up because of running the, the tests. And which um, and uh which one call it? And on another screen, I've actually got the actual app on a full browser window,
1: which I can mm, Okay, yeah.
0: So I can flip the left-hand side. So the left-hand side will either be the tests or I flip it over to the actual apps quite often. Or I'll do manual testing.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Actually, it's been really sweet. Um, uh, finally, I don't know if we... We talked about it, I think, briefly when I was talking about what we're hacking on and stuff when I was talking about um, using the Closure Script library. Did we talk about me writing Closure Script? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did, and I was using a library called Pernum. I can't remember if we, um, and yeah, been actually, I've actually touched Node now because I'm running the Karma as the test runner, so I can actually run okay. like, mm-hmm. my Closure Script unit tests, and that that works. That's actually really sweet. That's actually a really nice little piece of piece of software that. So that just runs them actually in the Chrome browser and it runs in its own profile and it's yeah, I'm actually quite impressed with it.
1: Speaking of tests, quickly, um. I played with a new test framework for FML the other day.
0: Oh, do you use Testbox?
1: Yeah. And I have to say, it's actually really well done, and it's extremely well documented.
0: That Lewis wrote it, so I'm not shocked.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, there's lots of documentation. I ran into one tiny issue, basically, which was a, an odd one anyway, which was kind of, I don't know, um, if you wanna, if you, if you write a test that expects an exception to happen, because mm. your code just wouldn't run with those conditions at all, there is like an expect or expected exception oh, kind yeah. of um, assertion, but yeah. that's not a proper assertion in test box. It comes through inheritance from some other base class and if I did, if you don't do that inheritance if you don't set up that relationship you don't have access to the accepted exception and that wasn't documented so I was actually just struggling to understand why I couldn't run that particular test and then I realized ah oh, okay you have to actually inherit that from whatever base spec or whatever the class is
0: that, oh, they, okay, that, they
1: use. that was a bit different than what MXUnit used to do yep. um, but yeah the framework's actually really really well done and yeah, it's um,
0: a bdd style isn't it yeah
1: yeah you can do both you can do um uh just x unit type tdd testing yep. um if you want to have bdd you need to be at least on rilo 4 or conclusion 10 because bdd yeah it needs closures reco- yeah. yeah, yeah. closure, essentially yeah
0: yeah oh, that makes sense that's pretty cool
1: yeah that's okay. actually quite good so i can um, you know, realistically, if they keep that kind of going and get some, a bit more traction, then that will become kind of the default testing framework for a lot of people from my point of view in the CFML. Well, world. I think
0: the fact that he's got the backward compatibility with MX unit makes a huge, like that, that makes that a, a very easy thing to switch to.
1: Yeah, it makes it really easy. I mean, you can pretty much run your MX unit tests. It takes you about five minutes to wire it up and then. You're ready to go.
0: You're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. I quite like – it was actually really funny. I, I quite like more of a BDD-style testing now than a, a unit testing. Um, and I think – and while I think you end up in, in basically the same place, sort of being able to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write, you know, whatever you did, you know, describe or I don't know what test box. Does test box use describe like Jasmine or how it um, I
1: haven't looked the, into the BDD stuff at all. Oh, uh, okay. I just, uh, I just I, used it for unit tests.
0: it's quite nice like I, i you know it's nice to be able to write you know it should you know describe a user account system and then you go it should log in you know it should log a user in it should log a user out you know and then you can write these things and then go in and fill them in but it kind of gets those thoughts down on paper like what should happen and what shouldn't um and some people will say you know it's really good you can you know share that around with you know BAs and stuff like that or, or more business-oriented people and they can understand what's happening. Um, but I actually find it's just nice to be able to, to think more in terms of what should happen in your system and then build tests around that rather than, rather than saying, okay, you know, you know, if I click this, you know, I hit this method, then this is what it should do because um, it, it, sometimes I find that it's actually nice if I'm sitting there going, okay, what, what bit do I need to pull off next? To make this thing work, and then mm-hmm. I can actually sort of break it down into chunks in my tests, and then start filling out those tests is a way to kind of break down the problem, and I find that quite nice.
1: Yeah, that is true. It requires, I mean, in in larger organizations where you have like you know dedicated BAs, for example, mm-hmm. um, that can work really well. I think in small organizations, or if you're like you know a development team of two or three people just working for a client or something like that, it's it has the benefits you mention, but it loses a lot of the benefits of you know interacting with the business, because no one at that business might have time or interest in you know looking at what you jot down there. If then that's clearly not the right thing, but that's just how the reality is. Yeah, often basically.
0: Yeah, but I think for me, BDD, I, I, like, I've, I've never, you know, shown my tests to a business unit person, like, and said, you know, are these right? Um, that's, I feel like that almost should happen at a higher up level. Um, but, you know, it's always nice to have that confirmation. I don't know, but for me personally, when I write it, like, for me, it was like, okay, why would you do BDD? You end up in the same place, like, who the hell cares? And then I started doing it. I was writing some RSpec stuff when I was doing some Ruby stuff. And I was like, this just kind of makes me feel better. Like I can kind of look at this and I can be like, okay, yeah, this is doing what it should be doing because I can see based on my my application or whatever it is that I'm writing, not just that if this happens then this happens, but I'm actually building what I'm meant to be building to get my app to do what I'm doing, and I can think it makes it helps me think about the problem a lot more. So I quite I quite like it that way. I must say, good to see that it's it's finally come to conclusion. <laughs>
1: I think a few people have tried something like that before. Yeah,
0: I think – I've seen a couple of things here, and I think Mark But it was never
1: really particularly well done or consistently done, I think. Released, I think. Yeah.
0: Um, Actually, no. There was – oh, my God. There was one. There was one um, ages ago. Was he Australian? Was he he objective? I almost feel like he was, or he was American and he came over. What was that called? He, there was one. There was one from a few years ago. I remember it. I remember you mentioning it. I remember it. Out. Oh.
1: I have no idea. Totally. Spec. Oh, yes. I, yeah, I remember that, actually, the name, yeah. Yeah,
0: and... um. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was very custom-taggy, too. Yeah, it was. It was. It was custom tags custom tags, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was way before closures. Yeah, interesting, interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Um.
1: So yeah. Anyway, I mean, Testbox looks, you know, quite interesting. So I'm just going to do a few more things with that. I think.
0: Fair enough. Cool. I've been primarily writing closure, um, simply because I've been on a bit of a break from work. So I've just been hacking around closure. And really enjoying that.
1: Cool. You should go to Clojure West.
0: That's yeah. in March and San Fran. Yeah, I'm doing way too much travel this year. So. Um,
1: really? What have you planned?
0: Oh, uh, I've got a few family things so I'm going away with my dad for a bit and then I'm also um, I've also got a wedding in London in August. Oh. So at that and then um, uh, which McCall I'll probably hand over to Strange Sleep as well. Okay. Whenever that happens because that's awesome. Mm, cool. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to segue into uh, into conferences, um, you, you've got a section here on what conferences you want to go to. Your list is a lot longer than mine.
1: Well, that's just because I think have I filled in your list, or have you filled in your list yourself?
0: I filled in so, it myself.
1: Oh, okay. So I thought I filled in your list, and I had no idea where, what else you would actually attend. Aren't you going to RubyCon? Or no,
0: I I put in a submission for RubyConf. Um, it didn't get accepted. They had like 90 submissions for like 20 spots. Um, it, yeah, so none of them got, got, uh, accepted, which I was kind of disappointed about. Um, but then I looked at the lineup and I had to be honest, I wasn't particularly excited. Um, and also I'm actually not entirely sure what language I'm going to be writing much this year. Um, apart from, I know I'll be writing some closure in my spare time, but I don't know what I'll actually be actually using. Um, okay. So I just kind of went, nah, there's nothing there that particularly grabs me, so um
1: Okay. Fair
0: I, I haven't put it on the list. Uh, if yeah, depending on what I'm doing, I may end up I I I pinged the Yao guys on uh, on Twitter asking whether there's gonna be another Lambda jam this year in Australia. Uh, and I said yeah, there's mm-hmm. one in the works. so depending on what I'm doing, may end up going to that. And yeah, strangely strangely for sure.
1: Okay. Cool. But, yeah, I'm, yeah really, I'm
0: really enjoying functional languages. <laughs>
1: I've got only so many things in that list because it's basically part of – well, most of them are part of one trip anyway. Oh, really? I'm, yeah, I'm going to Webstock just as an attendee because it's in Wellington and it's a really, really nicely done and with lots done conference Yeah, you Webstock. always say Webstock's
0: great. That looks a little it's, nice. It's really good.
1: Okay. Yeah, I remember last year you were like totally surprised that they haven't had like – um, an agenda with all the talks out yeah. there, like four weeks before the conference, and that you know that's again same thing. I think it's about to be booked out, fully booked and sold out, but they have no agenda yet.
0: They have no agenda yet. I don't think they have, have speakers, the no just, agenda. Do they have a speaker list? Oh, they do I, yeah. do. I saw that. I went and had a look. Yeah,
1: they oh, they do have speakers, on. but um, you know, it's just like you go anyway because it's so awesome. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, and then I'm going to. CF Objective and Scotch on the Rocks. Um, you're speaking
0: of both of those, aren't
1: you? Yeah, I'm speaking of both of those, and that, that actually worked out really nicely in terms of some other travel requirement for me to to go to Germany. Yeah. Um, because I wanted to go for my 20 uh, year high school anniversary Where thing. When
0: are going to be in Germany?
1: Um, in May, basically. Ah, okay. We should have a chat about that after the recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm basically going to Germany. Then from there, I'm going to CF Objective for like four days yep. to the US. Then go back to Germany, hang out there to do the high school reunion thing, stay with my parents a little bit, and then I'm going to scotch on the rocks and then back home from there. Okay. So that worked out really well, basically. And yeah, the other thing I'm going to go to is PyCon in Brisbane or yep. PyCon EU just because it's in Brisbane anyway. So I'm, I can easily, you know, arrange like, um, working from there the week before or the week after or something like that. So that makes okay. kind of a lot of sense. And I might go to CF camp again in, um, in germany in i don't know hopefully october if if they do it again Okay. Um, but it depends a little bit on uh, i don't know my keenness on travel and how all that stuff basically works out and this hasn't been announced publicly yet if there is one or if there when it is or you know stuff like that so i don't really know but yeah so far it's webstock and then one trip to europe with a few conferences on the way
0: Actually, I'm in. I'll be in Berlin on the 25th of April, end of April.
1: Oh, okay. End February. of April, yeah.
0: Anyway, that's that's just kind of random and weird.
1: Mm, okay. So you said you were going to Strange Loop again?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I think actually I should probably book a ticket. You know, when the, when they come up for sale anyway, just to have one and then. <laughs> make up my mind if I want to go or not. It's usually, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they will sell out yep. realistically, and it's easy enough to, you know, give it to someone because there is a massive demand anyway. So I might do that either yeah, way. Have
0: dates yet? I'm actually curious.
1: I think they have.
0: No, I haven't seen 2014 yet.
1: I'm. It's not on the, at least
0: it's not on the website. Maybe they mentioned it somewhere else.
1: Um, did I think of? I don't know, because I remember when I did my kind of conference planning for the year, that I had a look at the Strange Loop 2014 days.
0: Maybe it's on Lanyard?
1: 17th to 19th of September 2014, it's on Lanyard actually, yeah.
0: Loop 2014 yep there you go September I figured it would be in September I'll put that in my diary
1: yeah so that is a potential option that I might you know end up going there but, yeah.
0: come come I know. stand me up again
1: well this time I'm at least announcing that I might buy a ticket and then give it to someone else afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's
0: that's a conference like that's that's my web stock that's like I don't care what the agenda is I'm going <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be awesome I'm going and then it just becomes a question of am I doing a workshop or am I doing uh, am I doing the uh, the emerging links sessions again yep then I think uh, I need to make sure this time I actually fly in at least the day before the conference
1: oh that well, you're not know, totally wrecked
0: yeah or the day before the day before because the last okay. time I spent a few sessions just nodding off because I was that tired <laughs> I'm not 20 anymore
1: <laughs> yeah I'm when I was there two years two years ago, I did that as well. I went in. I think the conference started on a Thursday. Is that right? Yes, on a right. Wednesday, yeah. I think yeah. I came in like on the Monday or Tuesday, like two days before, basically. Yeah. So that one full day off. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you fly in that night and then you kind of try and get some sleep, which doesn't happen, and then you get there and you're like, oh god, I have to stay awake. Yeah. So there, there have definitely been some sessions that I got on InfoQ que- info that I was, that was actually sitting in, but uh, I couldn't keep my eyes open.
1: Well, and you know, at least you can actually watch them afterwards. Yeah, like, oh, yeah actually, definitely. they
0: did something really cool this year. Um, normally, all the strange lip Talks, if anyone's looking for them, um, can go on InfoQ and uh, InfoQ.com and watch them all. But for anyone who attended, they have them available straight away. Whereas normally they release them over the over the span of the year, uh, so that's actually really cool. So if there's anything you miss, you can actually watch it straight away. And I did. I think I did that sitting. I was sitting in uh, the airport lounge waiting for mean you know, on my flight home. I was like, hmm, I'm going to watch some presentations.
1: So um, couple that
0: I missed that were really good.
1: Wasn't it the same two years ago that as an FND you got the sessions like really really quickly within a few days?
0: I don't remember that. But if they did, I may have forgotten. That's entirely possible. Either way, it's cool.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: It's actually really, really cool.
1: Um, did you see or did we talk about the Scotch on the Rock pricing model?
0: No, I know nothing about Scotch on the Rock.
1: That is actually really interesting. It's very innovative actually. Go to the um to the Scotch on the rocks website, S T S O T R dot for European Union. Uh, yeah. And basically there's no early bird pricing or late bird pricing or whatever. If you click on the pricing link, it's basically incentive based. Oh, which yeah. Which is really interesting. It's basically you pay that and that's what oh, you nice. get for it. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice as well. But then if they sell 100 tickets, you get a t shirt with it. If they sell 150 tickets, there's a free bar and free food. If they sell 200 tickets, there are session recordings. Ah, which is that's nice. really interesting That's the first conference I ever saw doing something like that
0: that's cool I like their website too it's got that whole very common slidey up and down thing yep that's cool that's pretty what did they write that in view page source
1: hmm
0: Just, I'm like oh, what did they write that in let's have a look <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be a really cool conference, Scotch on the Rocks this year. Yeah,
0: I had a few had a peak, it Looks like they've like, got some good content.
1: I've been there uh, six years ago, actually, yeah. and that was a really good experience as well. I've been,
0: I've been, I've been trying to find more stuff that's around this region, and for some reason, I'm just, I'm honestly struggling. Maybe that's also because I don't know what I, what I want to be doing, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem like there's the, the depth of stuff that, that sort of sits outside of Australia, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, there is not a lot of conferences anymore in Australia, to be honest. And yeah. uh, even, There are a few interesting ones in New Zealand. I mean, there is WebStock. There is in July a thing called Web Developers Conference New Zealand, mm. which is actually a really good event, uh, which I just for whatever reason ended up missing two years in a row because I was overseas at the same time. Um, in Australia, I think... From a web point of view, at least, there is, um, what's it called? Web Directions South.
0: Oh, yeah, there is
1: that. I forgot about that. Is, you know, from, a, from a web design UX point of view, I think a really good event. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I know what you mean. There's
0: the Yale conferences.
1: That, yeah, did you actually go to, to Yao last year? I was like
0: umming and ahhing about it, and then I decided, nah, I can't be bothered. And then I had Sean Caulfield going. Oh my god, there are all these awesome people there. You should have just gone. I don't care what the content is. There are awesome people there. You should have like all the speakers. He's like this, this person, that person, this person. Oh my god. And I was like, oh well, guess I missed out. Um, which was funny. I actually had the time to go as well.
1: Um, yeah, one of the guys at my client um, went to the Brisbane one. Yeah. And he really enjoyed it. You know, it okay. was really good. And then I was actually, I was actually over there. I think the same week at my client Yeah. and I thought like, oh shit, you know, I should have so gone because it's just a train ride up to Brisbane, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, right why the, yeah, yeah. the hell did I go to that conference? Like, no. <laughs> um,
0: actually, but what I'm I'm thinking is that maybe um, I've been wanting to go to like a camp event because mm-hmm. I've never done that before and they sound really interesting, just kind of going away, take your laptop, just sort of hang out and, and just just chat to people and write stuff and you know like a really informal learning experience i think that could actually be a lot of fun rather than that sort of very very sit down listen to somebody talk
1: yeah the i mean the big player in that area obviously rails camps right
0: yeah rails camps yeah i don't know if there's anything
1: else i know there was a javascript, a JavaScript camp at there the was gold, at the yes, gold coast there was. i
0: know some people who went and said it was really good
1: um but yeah that's about it i mean i mm, functional
0: coding well. camp
1: Fun. Is that something you just made up, or did you yeah, see it just online? Yeah, I totally made that up. Okay.
0: <laughs> totally, totally, entirely made that up.
1: There you go. You know, just organize it. I'm pretty sure you find at least enough people, you know, that it's worthwhile doing, even if it's just 15 or 20 people.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's like, there's like at least four people doing stuff. Actually, Australia Post is putting together a closure team, which I thought was interesting.
1: Okay. For functional work?
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're replacing They've got a whole bunch of Java apps they want to replace, and they're rewriting all of them in Closure.
1: I, I, interesting. I, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, no, because um, I've been attending the Closure Meetup a lot, and uh, no, I thought it was really interesting. Like I was like, Australia Post is doing Closure, and they're like, Yeah, they totally are. I'm like, Cool. <laughs> 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 Wouldn't have expected Australia Post to be like, Let's actually just work with some cool technology. Didn't see that coming at all. Interesting. But, um, yep. Yeah, I was actually like pleasantly surprised. So yeah, I know a few people that work there now. I was like, okay, oh, that's neat.
1: Yeah, you know, all those technologies will make their way into mainstream development at some point. And yeah, know, if a corp like Australia Post picks up something like that, that's actually a good sign, really.
0: Yeah. So we're coming up on I think about an hour now. Um, I could probably talk about some other things, but we should probably wrap up. What do you reckon?
1: Yeah, that sounds good. And I need to um, um have a look after my bread that I got out of the oven before this podcast recording and see how that is doing.
0: Oh well, it's a very important bread. Okay. Well, um
1: it's food for the next two days or something like that. So it's kind of important.
0: <laughs> true. Oh, you know what you know what I haven't I haven't mentioned? I have a totally we have we talked about how I have a totally new blog? No. I have
1: a totally I didn't even know. Oh, you've got a new. Uh, new, well, it's, new
0: it's the old blog, but it's a new blog. So, compoundtheory.com is now. I've totally. It's been ported to WordPress and because uh, it made life easy and it's all prettily designed and stuff.
1: Yeah, I think we talked about that, actually. Did last, we? Yeah, last time. We... I
0: can't keep track anymore, man. This is hard.
1: Uh, yeah, no, your lovely wife did the design, right?
0: Yes, yes. I
1: actually said that I really like the design. Oh, the okay, icon. Good.
0: Yeah, okay. All right, there we go. All right. Oh, that's just disappointing. I can't talk about it again. All right, well, fair enough. Well, if people then want to reach me, they can go to my not-as-nearly-newly-designed blog, compoundtheory.com, where there are links to my Twitter, my GitHub, my... LinkedIn and all that sort of other fun stuff, um, and actually, if you want to, you can even see my wallpapers on desktop or, or what I've been listening to on SoundCloud. Um,
1: yeah, that's where it's coming from, the wallpaper cloud yeah, thingy, wallpaper oh, thing. Jesus Christ, yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome, wallpapers are the best thing ever.
1: Yeah, okay, it's fine. I I accept you as you are, Mike.
0: <laughs> good, good, glad to see that. <laughs> Uh, I accept you as you are as well. And uh, if people want to reach you, how can they do that, Guy?
1: Um, just go to my blog, um or Twitter, Agent K.
0: Cool. All right. Cool. Well, have a good day.
1: You too. <laughs> Talk to you soon. See you later. Bye-bye.